1: From KQED.
0: So World War III started trending on Twitter after President Trump announced the U.S. airstrike that killed a top Iranian general. But the possibility of war is a lot more real to those actually living in Iran and to Iranian Americans who live in the U.S. (music)
1: You know, my entire life, the two countries that I am technically citizens of have been adversaries. And with the most recent development, it just seems like that's going to continue. Ida Mojadad is one of tens of thousands of Iranian Americans in the Bay Area. And for her, the news
0: playing out abroad is personal. She's been thinking about what it means to be Iranian, American, and the spaces in between. I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to the Bay.
1: So I was actually at Costco with my mom visiting um, during the holiday season.
0: Ida Mojadad is a staff writer for SF Weekly.
1: I got a New York Times breaking news alert that the U.S. had confirmed it was behind this airstrike. And when I saw that the U.S. was behind it and that it was on purpose, I I knew it was bad. I just got this sinking feeling that this was going to be the beginning of something pretty nasty between two countries that um, I technically have citizenship for. The U.S. and Iran may be on the verge of a major military conflict after an American airstrike killed a top Iranian commander. The U.S. launched a strike overnight near Baghdad's airport, killing General Qasem Soleimani. Tensions between the two countries...
0: And so you were with your mom at the time. What was her reaction?
1: She didn't really seem to think that it was something larger. She just said, I don't don't really care if it's some commander. I just care if something happens to any people. Later, when we were talking with my dad, uh, then we realized it was something, it was something bigger.
0: So there was obviously a lot of reaction to to this on social media. I think World War Three was actually trending. You tweeted out this tweet that I actually want to read. You said, this onslaught of jokes about how we're all going to die in World War Three is peak American privilege. If anyone is effed over by the latest repercussions from the U.S.'s own actions, it's regular people in the Middle East yet again. It's service members, regional partners, and taxpayers. I actually want to ask you, what, were, what was going through your head when you wrote that tweet?
1: As long as I've known Iran, you know, all the news that comes out about it, um, it's just, the, you know, the country, the government, and no one really thinks about the people inside of it, and it goes, you know— Rings true for other conflicts that we're in. Regular everyday people, maybe they own businesses, maybe they want to, um, you know, do some more science breakthroughs. Um, you know, it's a highly educated country, a lot of middle class folks, and you know they just want the regular things that every everyday people want all around the world, and they just get so lost in in these uh, news news bursts.
0: Ida is one of tens of thousands of Iranian-Americans estimated to be living in the Bay Area. She was born and raised in the U.S. Her parents moved here in 1979.
1: My parents ended up settling in Southern California. First they were in in Kansas, but, you know, California dream and all. A lot of them came as students or they came for some other reason, kind of to uh, make some kind of mark and then maybe return. They thought it would be temporary, and then things kept developing in Iran, and they, they knew they couldn't really go back.
0: Ayatollah Khomeini returns to a country teetering on the brink of
1: civil war. So many stories of um, Iranian Americans, um, including in the Bay Area, begins with the 1979 revolution, begins with the hostage crisis.
0: This is the 84th day that Americans have been held hostage by Iranians at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. It was also vote counting day throughout the country for the presidential election held
1: Friday. But even before that, the immigration quotas that were blocked as a direct result of the civil rights movement made it possible for people like my parents and, and all the Iranian Americans that we know in the Bay Area to, to come here and to stay here and to build lives here.
0: As Ida was growing up in the U.S., she says different world events shaped the way she thought about her Iranian-American identity. She was seven years old when 9-11 happened, and this was a big moment where she felt like she was being othered, and she felt like she was being questioned whether she belonged. There were also political events in Iran that she felt here in the U.S.,
1: there was also the um, 2009 um, election. After President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was declared the winner of the hotly
0: contested presidential race by a landslide. Polls leading up to the election had shown a possible victory by his opponent, Mir Hussein Mousavi, who promised more freedom for women and more
1: openness to the West.
0: Down, down with the dictator. That's what the protesters have been shouting. The dictator, in their view, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad.
1: The just- you know, there were mass protests in Iran because of the results. Um, it uh, didn't seem like a fair election at all. Um, the reformers had lost. But in the capital of Tehran, thousands of protesters differed vehemently. That was the the first sign where I realized I couldn't really be going back and forth like I wanted to in the future so I could feel connected to this this um, country that shaped so much of me, that my parents had passed down to me, and that I couldn't go, I couldn't really go there, um, that it was too dangerous, and uh, that my family had no choice but to be there. They. They live there. They work there. Um, They can't just escape like I can. Um, I have the American passport, and, and they don't.
0: I want to talk about the last few years. You told us before we started recording that the Trump presidency felt like this turning point for you. How has it felt like a turning point?
1: Before Trump became president, you know, we had President Obama and It felt like the two could kind of come together because of this nuclear deal, this landmark nuclear deal. This was the first real case of diplomacy since since the hostage crisis. Today, after two years of negotiations, the United States, together with our international partners, has achieved something that decades of animosity has not. There's no embassy in Iran, um, so that level of communication is just not there, and it came together under Obama. it felt like finally that the, the two could could be maybe not friends. <laughs> that would take a while, but that the two could have a relationship again. That there could be this free flowing of, of family visits, and you know, being I could finally visit to myself and um, see my parents' hometowns again. So there, it was a kind of hopeful moment that there would be more of an exchange, and you know, the, the two parts of, of me and my family could could kind of exchange fluidly. And then after Trump, it became obvious that uh, with the travel ban and with him ripping up the nuclear deal, that it would be a very long time before that happened again.
0: You mentioned this kind of privilege that you have as an Iranian-American to be able to live in a place where you can avoid the impact of the tense U.S. relations with Iran. Is that privilege something that you've had to wrestle with?
1: Oh yes definitely i've definitely had to wrestle with the the privilege of being born and raised in the u s and and being pretty removed from all of the the worst even the slightest worst of, of the problems between the two countries, all the opportunities that i 've had and um, i've been pretty insulated from from the problems and i've also been able to speak speak up about the issues there because I don't have to live in there. I don't live under uh, the surveillance state yet (laughs) where the government will be tracking what I say about the government. And um, that comes at a cost of maybe not being able to to visit later on. But uh, under the situation with the relationships now, that's unlikely to happen anytime soon. Like I said, my family over there, they, they don't, just like with all the other conflicts that, that the U.S. kind of gets involved in, the people over there, they don't have a choice but to, to live and work there. You know, I hear Americans talk about how it's too scary to visit the Middle East when, you know, there's people who live and work there every day, like that's their lives, that's what they have to, to deal with. And there's parts where it's okay, and there's parts where their lives can go really haywire because of decisions made by the country that I was born in. <laughs> and it's it's just just really really tough place to be where the, the country that I call home and that is my home, as complicated as it may be, has uh, makes all these decisions that hurt people all around the world, including in a place where my family is still at.
0: I'm curious if there's any part of you that wishes you were in Iran with family that you have there.
1: Yeah, I do actually. One of my the biggest things I, I want for myself is to be able to go over there and kind of like bask in the this this place that shaped me and be with family that I, I don't even know all their names. There's so many family members and um I, I've met them before but it was so long ago that I, I I you know sometimes when my family talks about them I don't even know who they're talking about. And I want to at least just on a base level know <laughs> who everyone is because I don't even I don't even know that anymore. You kind of can can kind of not think about it most of the time. But when the reminder comes, like my aunt being able to visit, it really shows you what you're losing out on the rest of the time.
0: When I, when I hear you talk about kind of the struggle that you have living here and these two identities that you hold, it almost seems like what's happening politically between the U.S. and Iran is is symbolic in a way to you, like symbolic of the tension between the two identities that you hold.
1: Oh, definitely. You know, my entire life, these two the two countries that um, again I am technically citizens of have been have been adversaries, and uh, with the most recent the most recent development, it just seems like that's going to continue, and that 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 internal war and the external war are just <laughs> going to going to march on. I'm slowly kind of being able to let um, the external actions not affect the internal ones as much. But when moments like these happen, it's it's even harder.
0: How do you think a good relationship between the U.S. and Iran would change your life?
1: I mean, for one, I'd be able to to go to Iran without any worry that... um, that the two will be entangled in something ugly again. Um, you know, I can simply like visit my grandparents' grave. I didn't. I didn't know them. That's the only way I can. That's the only way I have any um, real, like, tangible connection is seeing their grave. There's no other evidence of them otherwise in my life. It, it really is a lot more powerful than you think. Just having that that face to face connection, both with my family and with the place. I can see it in photos but I, I can't actually go there and my family can't really come here and um you know, it just kind of it just impedes on the freedom to kind of be part of both. The Trump presidency is also during the 40th anniversary of of the revolution, and there was this big conference that pulled um, you know all these academics together who had studied the diaspora. The conference was at San Francisco State University, my alma mater. What that conference um, helped kind of spur forward was that you know I I may not be able to be in Iran, and that's not my my home anyways. You know, America, California is my home. Um, but I don't have to blend completely as Iranian or blend completely as American, whatever that means. Uh, You know, I can be this mix, and that's perfectly okay. I don't have to know everything that my family's saying at family gatherings when they're speaking Farsi. Thankfully, being in the Bay Area, you can kind of bring all your your, um, cultural upbringings with you to the table.
0: Ida says her family in the U.S. communicates regularly with her family in Iran. They have to use this app called Telegram. She has aunts who've gone back and forth between the two countries too. But Right now, she says she just wants to know that her family in Iran is okay. And she says she mostly just feels worried for them in a way that she hasn't before. Ida Mojadad is a staff writer for SF Weekly. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and our editor, Alan Montecilio. KQED's leadership team includes Julie Kane, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Katayama. That's it for The Bay. I'll talk to you Wednesday.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randab AbdelFatah from ThruLine.